Hills and Valleys is a podcast that uncovers stories from leaders in healthcare, tech, and everything in between. Straight from the heart of Silicon Valley, we give you a look at the good, the bad, and the future, one episode at a time. Brought to you by Petro Medical. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Petrero Medical with another episode of Hills and Valleys. This time we have Dr. Austin Chang. Many of you know him from his widely popular and highly followed uh, channels on TikTok and Instagram, uh, YouTube and Twitter. And we had him on just because we wanted to talk about how he built this very large uh, professional brand as physician on social media with this massive reach. More importantly, get some tips for physicians who are listening as to how they can start building their professional brands on social media. We also cover some really interesting topics such as the uh, you know the direction that medicine is heading uh, with COVID-19 and more specifically, how doctors can use social media to better educate patients and the greater public at large. So let me tell you a little bit about him. So he currently is the assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson Health, which is the Thomas Jefferson University Hospitals in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he has two uh, big titles there. He serves as the director of endoscopic weight loss uh, program and is also the chief medical social media officer for the health system. He completed his undergraduate studies at Duke University before obtaining his MD at Columbia University. Uh, he stayed there for internal medicine residency at New York Presbyterian Hospital and then completed his GI and bariatric endoscopic fellowships at Brigham and Women's Hospital. He then obtained a uh, master's in public health from Harvard uh, Icon School of Public Health before completing an advanced endoscopy uh, fellowship at Jefferson. He's very passionate about empowering patients with accurate medical information online, and he's one of the most influential voices in the field of gastroenterology, and this is across multiple social media platforms, which includes not limited to, of course, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. And he's conducted extensive research in social media and is a champion of physician presence on social media. And as the chief medical social media officer at Jefferson Health, he also was the founding president of the Association for Healthcare Social Media, AHSM, which is the first 501c professional society for health professionals using social media. Uh, He's worked very closely with all the major national GI societies on social media efforts and was 2018's Helio Gastroenterology Disruptive Innovator of the Year and the Philadelphia Inquirer's 2019 Influencers of Healthcare Rookie of the Year and 2019 Medscape Top Social Media Physicians. His role in social media has been featured by the New York Times, CNBC, and the BBC News. So he's quite a well-known and well-respected uh, uh, thought leader as a physician online. And so without further ado, here is our episode with Dr. Austin Lee Chang. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Petro Medical with another great episode of Hills and Valleys. And I finally got him, one of my favorite content creators online, um, the infamous, the well-known and respected Dr. Austin Lee Chang. Dr. Chang, thanks so much for coming on. It's it's great to finally have you. I see we we see you quite often on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else. So we're happy we're able to have you on. You know, considering your busy schedule. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, we talked earlier. You know, you 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 wear a lot of hats in your current role. But can you you know for the audience that's that's watching, can you tell them your your full role role? Because I think a lot of people know you as this great content creator as a physician. Um, and, and great teacher online. But outside of that, what's what's the day job, I guess? 
Yeah, uh, well, I have a full-time day job. So despite all that content creation, um, clinical work is still kind of the mainstay for me. Um, I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Jefferson Health here in Philadelphia. I'm also the director of the endoscopic bariatric program and the chief medical social media officer for the entire Jefferson Health enterprise. Um, I'm also the founding president of the Association for Healthcare Social Media, which is a 501c3 nonprofit professional society to help health professionals get on social media and use it responsibly and effectively. That's fantastic. And that's definitely something uh, I want to come back to in a moment. But, you know, real quick, the thing that we often don't see from from leaders like you is the, the backstory. So tell us about, I mean, where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How did you get into medicine? So I am originally from Southern California, and I moved abroad to Taiwan when I was 10, came back for college, went to Duke for college, um, med school at Columbia in New York, stayed there for internal medicine residency for another three years, and then moved to Boston for my gastroenterology fellowship for another three years at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Um, during those three years, I actually completed a second fellowship in bariatric endoscopy and also obtained my master's in public health from the TH um, Chan Harvard School of Public Health. And then um, came here to Philadelphia to do my final year of training um, in advanced endoscopy. So my third fellowship, third and final fellowship. <laughs> and, uh, and then that really, you know, completed my entire medical training experience. I really got into medicine, um, pretty cliche, but it's a, a combination of my interest in science and health and the human body and just wanting to help people. And fortunately, I had a couple examples in my family, um, cousins who were physicians, my grandfather, who was a surgeon, um, to kind of set that example for me. It's fantastic. I'm sure it probably felt, you know, so good to after completing those fellowships i mean that what people don't understand is how much blood sweat and tears it takes to to go through that because essentially you're being worked like a dog and you're getting paid very very little so it's it's really hard i commend you for going through it but it must feel so good to get out and get to a place like jefferson health it was very liberating i think after it was a total of 15 years after high school so, you know, 11 years after college, a total of 15 years after high school. So it was a long time coming. And, um, and I think I'm very fortunate to, to be at a place that's very supportive of some of these more out of the box ideas. And part of the reason why I have this whole social media role is because of the fact that, you know, the leadership at this institution is very um, forward thinking. So I know that this is not common uh, to have a role like this. And, um, and hopefully, you know, I believe that there needs to be more social media leadership across all academic institutions. Absolutely. I 100% I agree. And I, I think this is one of the things that uh, when I first found you, um, I think it was first through Instagram a, a year or so ago, that it really resonates for me because at least for me, you know, I'm trying to do the same thing in my industry. I, I feel like in medical devices that, you know, look, our, our, our quote unquote customers, the people we want to do business with, physicians, hospital administrators, nurses, they're on social media. And so I think it, it's important to create content, to engage, to build that trust versus this old model of showing up to your workplace out of the blue and saying, hey, can I talk to you about this random product? Like it's just, it's, it's, it's old and outdated. And I hope that a lot of my uh, peers are starting to think about this new way 
um, especially considering that COVID's here. And I, one of the things I showed is, it, I think on PubMed, if you look for the last 20 years, there's just been this uh, hockey stick curve on the number of publications in social media by physicians. Like that doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. How, so when you were in fellowship, um, or, you know, when did you start this, this journey on, on in content creation, social media, did you do that during fellowship or when you graduated? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been a fan of social media growing up, you know, I went through the MySpace age and Friendster and we're know, part of that Facebook same generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, with face, when Facebook first came along, you know, I really enjoyed it. And so I've just always been a fan and, and always bought into the idea. And um, earlier, sort of halfway through med school, I realized that um, there was that disconnect that you were, you were describing that patients are getting information online and they're exposed to all sorts of information. And yet there aren't very many professionals on social media, or at least back then there were much fewer. And, um, and I felt the need to you know, be someone out there who had the training to talk about certain things to you know, um, put that factual information out there. Um, and so I spent some time at ABC News actually wanting to learn the whole process of how medical journal publications found its way onto the evening news. And in that process, wow. I kind of saw how the network was using social media as a way to facilitate conversations online. So that's really how I got into it. And I started out on Twitter and then over the years went onto Instagram and, and TikTok, as you mentioned. Um, and you know, in, along the way, ran into a lot of different hurdles, being a trainee, being at an academic institution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, then I started doing research to kind of justify my use of social media in some mm-hmm. ways. And that's so the publications that you were describing that, you know, that rise in publications, I definitely was contributing to that and active um, as part of that. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that that's uh, really how I got into it. And, um, and here we are now. Now, I got to ask, because I, I know plenty of my friends from medical school are getting out uh, of residency, but I know plenty of people were getting into residency. And considering how uh, hierarchical uh, medicine is, I'm, I'm going to guess you got a lot of flack when you were in training, like being on social media and everything. W- what was that like? Because it must have been so difficult to uh, either get that kind of resistance. I'm sure people tried to make you feel bad about it and stop it. I mean, how did you how did you push through and not listen? Um, especially being like a fellow or trainee, it's, it's, you know, people can kind of decide your future. So how did, how did you stand up and, and how did you find the courage to kind of keep going? Yeah, that's a great point. And you just reminded me of some moments when I think. Am I bringing a little PTSD back just to <laughs> Well, it's actually like a good, good moments, actually. When I got some positive feedback from patients who would come across my content online and give me encouragement and and that really showed me that I was doing something helpful you know um and actually another point that I want to make is that there was definitely a lot of hesitation even from my end going into it feeling like I wasn't quite an authority yet at the time Mm -hmm. and so I really stayed within certain boundaries about what I would be talking about and you know over time have expanded that based on like what I understand and what I know mm-hmm. but um but yeah I did get some flack in the beginning and um and it was really interesting because as social media kind of grew and um and and I saw other people were catching on um you know the various I think part of it was the research that I was doing really helped kind of legitimize what I was doing 
the other thing was um, because of that research, I was also getting involved with our professional societies. So I had the societies buying into what I was doing as well, at least in my field in gastroenterology. So soon enough, I was helping the, the GI societies with their messaging and their social media efforts. And, and from there, it just one thing led to another. And suddenly you have like formalized curricula at certain programs, you know, dedicating a noon conference to social media to educate their trainees about how to use it. And, and so by the time I left the Brigham, you know, more than half the faculty was on social media alongside me. And, um, and we were actively kind of a, a social media machine at that point. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that is, I don't want to say it's, it's, it surprised me, but it was, it was amazing to see was, you know, I remember a few years ago, um, you know, as I was going through social media, both for my personal brand, but also for the companies I worked for, um, you know, and I saw the, 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 the rise in users, users uh, on LinkedIn, but then I remember uh, looking more uh, deeper into Twitter and this is a few years ago. Right. Um, and seeing how many physicians are on there, not only having open discussions during conferences, but having journal club, the, the nephrologists, nephrologists are wild on Twitter. They, they have their own like social media internship. They have journal club twice a month. You know, so this is like, it's amazing to see that because it's, um, I mean, think of it like this, like uh, for both of us back when we were in medical school, these things didn't really exist to that extent. And I learned more about nephrology, just following the threads on Neff Twitter than I did in my own you know, nephrology unit, no offense to my professor back then, but like, you know, it just, it's real, real time and live. And you're seeing yeah. debates, you're seeing people uh, update information, which I think on once on the HCP side for, for physicians is great, but there's this other side where I'm trying to encourage more physicians, which is there have to be more of you. There's only one of you, right? So there have to be more because again, patients, whether it's people who are young, like, like, like us or people who are older are getting their information from you know, the internet. And the biggest thing is that we make fun, we kind of joke about memes and everything, but meme memetics has been around for a while and it's a very powerful thing. So your short videos on, on certain physiological processes probably have more influence on people understanding certain diseases or, or, or procedures than if they go and search things on Google. That's like, that's just the fact because it's, it's short, it's memorable, you know? Um, yeah. If you were to look like, I don't know, 20 years from now, what would have to happen for you to say, for you to be like, wow, like I'm really proud that I, I, I was part of that movement and here we are now. What does that look like? Like 20 years from now, if you can, if you can say, I, I hope for something to happen in the medical community, what would that be? I mean, I hope that there would be a general understanding from the public that there are experts online that they can access. Um, I think that the novelty of us being on there now, I'm hoping that that rubs off in the future. Um, you know, with the with every passing generation, I think there's greater adoption of social media. So I think mm -hmm. that at a certain point, they'll recognize that, you know, we're not only going to social media to get, you know, cooking demos and, you know, and, you know, fashion advice or whatever it might be, but, you know, there's plenty of health information out there. And I think we're seeing it already. When I think about how, my experience was like going through medical school and hearing about what med students are, um, what sort of tools they have nowadays. You know, they have all sorts of apps and yeah, like sort of more like visual graphic, um, you know, teaching materials than than I ever had. 
And, um, and you're absolutely right that some of the things that you are able to learn on Twitter, you know, it just, it doesn't show up in textbooks because there's always going to be gray areas that even people within the field will disagree on or just haven't, there's not enough evidence for, and we rely on expert opinion and that's really where we can get it. And, um, and actually nephrology, you know, they were far way ahead of the game, you know, compared to gastroenterology. And so I know some of the earlier nephrologists who are still very active now um, and to see what they've done, I mean, it's incredible. And, and hopefully, you know, um, not only does it engage professionals, but like I was alluding to earlier, the general public can also participate and get something out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the biggest benefit is, you know, on one side you are educating the public, but then again, like, and you can't, the, the thing is you can't measure this. You'll never know um, how many medical students, right? Who are MS ones or twos watch some of your content and get influenced to pick a career in gastroenterology, for example, because, mm -hmm. you know, the old way when you and I were in medical school, it was like, we either had to do time over the summer and shadow somebody, or we have to, we have to wait for rotations in third and fourth year. But I think with social media, you know, especially it's, it's really rich between the YouTube videos, uh, Instagram and TikTok videos, discussions on Twitter. I mean, you can really get a good sense of what it's like to be, let's say, a nephrologist or gastroenterologist, you know, what the community is like. Because one thing, one of the, I, I don't know, it's somewhere around here, but there's a, I can't remember the book, but I remember reading this book uh, on medicine and, and picking residencies and stuff. And one of the things it said that never made sense to me until I got into medical school, which was a lot of the times when you pick a specialty to go into, a good part of that is based on where your personality fits, mm -hmm. right? And I never got that until I got in, but then, you know, you can really get a good feel for that environment uh, through social media. Um, so for some of the physicians who are listening now, and I know that, I mean, there's, there's some that are, you know, new residents, some that just graduated, there's some that, are, that have been in practice for 10, 15 years. If they wanted to get started, I mean, how do you get started? What would you recommend? Because I think they see someone like you and your content and they're like, man, I, that's just so much to do. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's a small step. What's that small step? Yeah, I think that, first of all, it's getting over that mental hurdle of, you know, being self-conscious and putting yourself out there, which I struggle with with every single new app that I've adopted. It's always been a struggle and I still face that. Um, what do you mean by when you say self-conscious, what do you mean specifically? Well, I think that, you know, you always with whatever content I put out there, I'm always in the back of my mind wondering what are people going to think about this and mm. i think that to a certain extent that's a healthy uh check you know there's healthy checks and balances because you know we want to make sure that what we're putting out there isn't going to be offensive it's not going to get us into trouble and that's why you know that's part of my work in trying to help other people is helping them understand that and sometimes we've had to learn that the hard way um but getting over that um, mental hurdle and you know, on certain platforms, it's not as apparent as others. Like on Twitter, it's all text-based. You kind of put it out there and it almost feels anonymous, which is what makes it sometimes dangerous. <laughs> but I think um, <laughs> when you're on other platforms like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, it's much more image-based. It's you're, you're putting your own likeness out there. And, um, and so you feel, I mean, on a superficial level, you feel self-conscious about, you know, the usual stuff about how you look and whatnot, but you're also putting your likeness paired with a message. And, um, and so I can see how there's a lot of trepidation going into this. So, I mean, so the first step is 
somehow overcoming that, you know, it might just take practice and it definitely gets better over time. So I think that some of it is just sticking to it and, and, um, and then with time you'll get over it. But, um, but the other thing is just not spreading yourself too thin to begin with. I think focusing on one platform is often helpful. We see that there's so many different platforms out there and mm -hmm. everyone wants to do everything all at once. And it's just simply not feasible. And once you get you know, uh, acquainted with one platform, you'll be able to be more efficient and, and crank out content much more quickly. Um, and, um, and so that certainly has been the case for me. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, the biggest um, bang for your buck at this point in time, which will likely change, uh, is probably Twitter for any, you know, um, physicians out there, mm -hmm. just because there are a lot of other professionals. And in terms of what you gain out of being involved on Twitter, seems like you're not only, you know, networking, but you're also stay, staying um, up to date with any sort of academic discussion or what's new being put out there by journals and societies. And that's the thing is like a lot of journals and societies are not yet on other platforms. Mm. And so you're not going to get those real time updates. And, you know, that's one less thing that you get out of being on, you know, um, TikTok, for instance, where there's virtually no medical journal on there, you know? Right. Um, and, and, you know, it might not, they may never want to be on those platforms because it just might not fit the, um, the model of, you know, what the, the journal is trying to do, or it just doesn't, you know, certain platforms just make more sense depending on what you want to do. So Absolutely. I guess that's the other thing is finding your purpose and, and figuring out what exactly you're hoping to achieve. Ah, yeah. Which is so, which, so let's, let's talk about that. So, um, so I think on one side, like for the, for professional engagement and learning, totally agree with you. I think Twitter, Twitter's high up there as number one, a far second, far, uh, it would, I think would be LinkedIn, but yeah, Twitter, I put it really high up LinkedIn, maybe second, but in terms of the public facing side, mm -hmm. I think a lot of physicians, they struggle. It's kind of like they struggle between picking between, let's say Facebook and Instagram. I think Facebook is kind of the default where it's like, it's like the equivalent of having a website back in the nineties or two thousands, like, Oh, I should have a Facebook page, but I, I actually, I don't even know if, if I'm, if I'm following your Facebook page, I feel like the, the real game and attention for public awareness and patient awareness is, is on Instagram. Would you agree? You know, I think that Facebook, I will admittedly say that I don't spend much time on it anymore. Um, and, you know, for somebody, I have the benefit for, of working at an academic center. For someone who's in private practice, you know, for search engine optimization reasons and things like that, having a Facebook page might be a better option where you can actually kind of promote your business kind of offerings a bit better on there. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Instagram, I think in general, yeah, I think that there's, in terms of building a brand and a relationship with the general public, and, um, and I think that, that there is additional value there. Uh, mm -hmm. Facebook still seems a little bit sterile yeah. uh, as Twitter in some ways, um, but you know, Instagram is where you can really get a glimpse into the personality a, a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is becoming increasingly more um, important. You know, like I, I feel like in general, even outside of medicine, we're appealing to feelings much more than, you know, actual kind of facts, which that's the, that's the, the, uh, the difficult, you know, challenging part is achieving that balance. Right. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is kind of like, 
I feel like showing, you know, and again, I, 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 I really mean it when I, when I say like your, your content and, and the, and the brand you have online, I love it because it's unique to you. That's, it's not repl- replicable by anybody. Like there's only one Dr. Chang. And I think that, you know, in medical school, we learned about the, that, you know, certain communities, they want to be treated by doctors who represent that community, right. That look like them, that talk like them. But I think part of that also is that you know, personality is a big part. Like how many times, you know, you and I both, we had a doctor growing up, our favorite doctors, it wasn't because they were, I mean, yeah, part of it was they were great doctors, but also it was because of their personalities is how we, how they made us feel when we went to go see them. And so I'm sure like for your patients, I'm guessing they all love to see you because they, they know who, you, you know, they know your personality and, and they built this trust by seeing you online. So when they go to see you, even if it's a really, um, uh, difficult, let's say, uh, a visit or it's something very serious, there's this trust because it's like, yeah, like this is not some guy that I just see only when I go in the doctor's office. I'm seeing him online and there's this there's this like familiarity being built. Do, do you feel like that's happened with you and your patients? Yeah, I, I'm seeing it more and more. I think that, you know, as patients are more savvy and are Googling, you know, my name before coming to see me, they'll inevitably come across my social media <laughs> um, which is a good thing and they a lot of the times I I realize that they often won't mention it but they will some some patients will mention it and I think that they appreciate the fact that I'm on there and um, and so yeah I do I do feel like it gives them a better sense that you know look I'm a human being too you know Mm. I'm not a machine I'm not a robot (laughs) I'm approachable um, and and those are all things that I've I'm hoping to achieve just being on social. Do you think, you know, I know that they always say in medical school, like um, you need to empower the patients to make the best decision and give them the, the right information. But I think a lot of times patients are, are they can be intimidated by a physician. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like from your content online, do you feel that, have you noticed like um, that more patients are just seem to be a lot more comfortable and, and at ease talking to you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think and like, they, just ask you questions, you know, like that, that they, that they, you, you like they ask questions where you're like, well, I didn't think they would ask me something like that, but that's good. Oh, totally. And I feel it, the same thing goes for trainees and aspiring physicians. You know, I never, I remember when I was in college, I would never think to just, you know, DM a, <laughs> a, a physician online. And now people will reach out to me all the time, you know, and, and I feel like they're so used to seeing me act a certain way online that they feel that comfort level. And in fact, actually yesterday I put on Instagram reels um, this, it was actually also on TikTok, but it's basically like in some ways a dance, although it was more just summarizing the, the news about the, um, the COVID vaccine. A Pfizer vaccine, I saw it. That was great. And, uh, and again, uh, I learned more from that. 30 second video you made than most of the articles I read. (laughs) And I mean, that's the thing is I want to distill what's out there because there's a lot of, you know, great information coming out of the media, but sometimes it just needs to be distilled into something that's uh, more easily consumed. And, um, and, you know, the comments I had on there, it's interesting because I think a lot of people know me for doing stuff like that, but for those who are new to it are like, Oh, I wish I, always got information this way. Um, so I, I was really glad to see some of that feedback. Totally. And I think, look, I think that you tapped into something. And if I can, like, 
encourage you to make more content like that because here's the thing is you know we live in a very very complicated world it's getting more complicated that's why something like google google's a billion dollar company because essentially they curate content and they answer questions as quickly as possible that's literally what 99% of google's you know close to trillion dollar uh, business does mm-hmm. and i think with things like medicine and and you know we what we were used to back you know a decade or two ago and longer is, you know, you would have an expert like yourself, go on the news, talk about it uh, from not from very non-biased approach. And you're like, okay, that's, that's the information I know what to do with it. The media has just gotten so much more biased and to the point where they'll bring on experts just to double down on whatever bias that they might have. Right. And so I think the opportunity and the important thing is to have, whether it's not just in medicine, but other areas, Experts like you who, you know, you're not, you're not going on CNN. You're not going on Fox. If you do that, you totally should, by the way, <laughs> it'll be good for the brand. Uh, good for followership. <laughs> um, but you, but you distill this stuff down so that instead of me going and reading, whether it's on, you know, certain, and you, you can't tell who has a strong bias or not, right. Instead mm-hmm. of reading this information that looks, it's under the guise of being non-biased, but in reality, it is biased. You've taken and distilled it down, especially something that's as controversial as vac- vaccinations. Like, again, I've read quite a few articles since the Pfizer announcement uh, happened a, a couple of days ago. Yours was by far the best one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier. I wanted to I wanted to ask you about. You said you know getting on social and then like finding your purpose. What do you mean by that? Like, what what's your purpose? How did you come 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 about finding it? Yeah, I think this goes back to that whole idea that there's a disconnect with how patients are getting their information and where they're getting it from and who they're getting it from. And so ultimately that translates to wanting to put out, you know, accurate information and share my expertise. And I mean, I think that beyond that, there are other things that I try to do, like dispel misconceptions about what I do, because a lot of people have ideas of what a gastroenterologist does, and I'm in a very specific subspecialty within that mm. that most people don't know about. So mm. it's, I'm, I'm sort of talking about these areas um, that don't receive as much attention. Um, and then also, you know, humanizing the profession, as we've kind of just been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody has that goal. Some people want to purely only educate and educate, you know, their peers and their um, you know, people who are in the medical profession. Um, there are others who just want to build their practice and promote what they're doing from a business perspective. And I certainly at an academic center don't have as much of that, that interest um, than say somebody in private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's, um, so it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, one singular purpose, but, you know, having sort of a main focus. And so for me, it's really, facing the general public. Absolutely. Now, in line with that, and I think this is where um, you're doing a great service for the medical community and your peers, um, t- tell me a little bit about the nonprofit that you started, because from, from my understanding, you're helping physicians get online and get on social. T- tell us a little bit about that. And, and again, for everybody who's listening or watching, I'm leaving a link to uh, uh, the nonprofit in the show notes, so you can check it out. But Tell us a little bit about that and, and how people can, you know, find you and, and what, what is it all about? Yeah, for sure. So this actually all came about because several of us who are active on Instagram, this was two years ago at this point, 
we started noticing concerning trends about people misrepresenting themselves, speaking about medical or health issues without having the appropriate credentials. And so we had a hashtag campaign called Verify Healthcare, where mm. we encourage people to, um, or we encourage professionals to share their credentials with everyone and why they were, um, you know, uh, qualified to speak about whatever topics they speak about. Mm -hmm. and also to encourage their followers to really double check who they were trusting online. Mm -hmm. And from there, we started brainstorming about all the different issues and concerns that we were um, facing with social media, a lot of which never existed before on other platforms. You know, there was this rise in the influencer movement. And then we started noticing that with larger followings that, you know, as health professionals, we were running into issues with like imposter um, accounts and like, you know, things uh, that healing, healing with crystals and, and oils. <laughs> yeah. Or even people just like taking our likeness and using it to promote other products without our permission. And Oh, really? All, yeah. All sorts of things and things that wow. people usually don't even that we would never have expected. And of course, like we were talking about controversial topics like vaccines and things like that, you know, we can be targeted as a, from some of these um, groups that are very anti-science and, and, you know, there's, um, that's, we have to learn the hard way in some instances, how mm. to navigate that. Uh, so in essence, we wanted to um, have an entity that could really treat what we're doing here on social media as something just like any other medical subspecialty and have a and the name of the entity, by the way, can you name it's called the association for healthcare, social media. Got and it. we have accounts on, on most of the major social media platforms, but it's AHSM and our mm. website, AHSM.org. Um, and, um, and so basically we felt that those of us who are active doing similar things as I'm doing could come together and share our expertise with other health professionals. So we could really build, the number of health professionals who are online um, to put out more accurate information and, and kind of be those spokespeople for um, each of our areas of expertise. Um, but, you know, we learn again, how to do this, not only responsibly to avoid all these different pitfalls, but also effectively because you could put out the best content out there with the most beautifully curated grid and it might not reach anyone, you know? I, I know the feeling, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and so, you know, a lot of us have spent years working on this, trying to cultivate a, a following, a community, and um, engaging with one another. And, you know, one key thing, if there's anything to take away, is that social media has to be social. You can't really just put information out there and expect it to take off. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a social element where you're engaging with your followers, with other people who are doing similar things. And what does that mean, engaging with you? Because you do a very good job of it, but I, for again, the, the newbies who are trying to do this, what does that mean, engaging with your followers? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's often responding to comments, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's interesting. When and I you get a lot and you respond to every single one. I've tested I it. I <laughs> to do as much as I can. But I think when I first entered this space, there was a part of me that, you know, you would see some of the big, big YouTubers or Instagrammers and you'd be like, oh, they never respond to anything. So I'm not going to respond to anything either. Mm -hmm. But that's because at a certain point, they can only do so much. And that's why it appears that way. Yeah. But really to get started, it involves, you know, responding to comments. And, um, and now all the platforms make it 
relatively easy to engage through, you know, take Instagram stories, for instance, there are different functions like Q and A's and live streaming. And, you know, there are different ways to sort of maintain people's attention. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think that maximizing all those functionalities is important too. So for, uh, and it's, it's um, A-A-H-S-M? Yeah. For A-H-S-M? Awesome for short. <laughs> What's up? Awesome. awesome. <laughs> you are from my generation. <laughs> so, so, so A-H-S-M.org, I'll put that in the show notes. So, um, you know, physicians can go and, and are, are there resources there? Do you have an email sign up? What, what, what should they do when they go to the website? Yeah, so we, um, you know, we're sort of shifting gears with the organization a bit. We started out wanting to be more of a guidelines forming organization, but we've realized that social media is just one of those spaces that it's really hard to put up guardrails. Super for. hard because it and just now, changes all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this whole past, um, this whole past year, we've seen just so much evolution with all these platforms and, and all the things that they themselves are putting up with. So um, we're trying to be more resource-based moving forward. And so we're going to have a resource library, trying to curate all of like the most helpful resources out there. And, you know, we just um, this past August had our first uh, annual meeting where we had, you know, a whole series of lectures. We had a whole uh, patient advocate fireside chat. We had an abstract submission. So it really was treated like an academic conference. And, um, and we're hoping to do that again next fall. Um, but the resource page is great. And we've already developed some collaborations, like we've collaborated with YouTube to have a series of, you know, um, YouTube training sessions coming straight from the YouTube headquarters. And awesome. we also have, you know, um, with other platforms coming very soon as well. So I think that there's, especially with the pandemic, there's been a lot more interest from the platforms themselves to get more health content onto their um, platform. So, so That's it's been great. a really opportune time to kind of um, get into this space. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, I remember reading it a while back, um, again, like I think CNN or, 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 or HuffPost or one of the news outlets wrote an article about this, about how, how many um, thousands of hours were spent by physicians looking up procedures on YouTube. And they made it kind of sound like it was a bad thing, but I'm like, no, that's how, how, it, how medicine's done because it's, there's only, I mean, look, you know, what you read in those textbooks, 40% of the time patients actually present like that, like not yeah. even. And so I think it's great um, that you guys are creating that kind of content in real time because, you know, I think the old way was, you know, you come out with, let's say a new procedure, let's say uh, robotic prostatectomy, you know, two decades ago, right? But by the time those guidelines are published and everything, right, the procedure might've changed. And then even if it hasn't, once it's been published and you have more people doing the procedures, they, they discover better ways to approach it, you know, troubleshooting approaches, all those different things. I'm sure, I know you've, you, you see the same thing in, in gastroenterology. And so it's not a good thing to wait, even if it's a year, for the, for the annual conference the following year to talk about it like at yeah. a session. It's so much better when physicians can see this in real time, not only, I guess, in procedure, but also with like, you know, like I'm sure that, you, you know, uh, physicians are starting to use social media to get an idea of like, hey, this is one topic that's starting to trend in the public domain. We should be expect, expecting more of our patients to come in and ask about this. So as a hospital or health system, 
what's the procedures and guidelines we should put in place right away so we know how to talk about that versus in the past, you don't know about those kind of things. People come in and it's based on the doctor to decide like, oh, what what conflicting information should I give? And you'll have two great doctors giving sort of different opinions about some public domain topic. Do you, does that sound about right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when you mentioned textbooks, like, look, whenever, for anyone who's had to contribute to a book chapter or, you know, help out with a book, we know how long that process is. It's often years. And by the time the book is actually out and published, a lot of that information may or may not be up to date. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, especially with the pandemic, I think what the pandemic has really illustrated is that here, here comes this virus that's completely unknown where we have no experience. And there's just all this information getting thrown out. Some of it is peer reviewed, some of it is not. We're trying to communicate with one another to try to figure out what the best solutions are. And that, you know, waiting for that to show up in the next issue of a mailed journal is just not gonna cut it when, you know, people are actively, you know, suffering from the pandemic, especially early on. I think that there was this whole panic because, um, because of how little we knew. And, and, you know, to imagine a world where we didn't have social media, I can only, think of like what would happen. And I mean, there's pros and cons, as we all know now, of having social media now, because there's plenty of misinformation that's being put out there too. But I think for scientists and public health experts and physicians and other health professionals, I think it's been, you know, um, a lifesaver in a lot of ways too. No, absolutely. And, you know, maybe I don't know if this has been thought about. I hope this is the first time someone's thinking about this idea. But, you know, something that I think I would really love to see is that, you know, like, uh, for example, on Twitter, right, you know, you, you get verified, if, you know, if you're a physician or a scientist, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that what would be great is if social platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of them, you know, they, they reach out to physicians and say, okay, if you're a physician, like send us your NPI number, et cetera, and we'll verify you. And so let's say that you you're a physician who's, I don't know, in uh, infectious diseases, right? Then if there's a certain post that falls into that category, you can kind of get pinged and say, hey, we would like you to review this post. And maybe there's a group of 20 or 30 or 50 infectious disease physicians that in real time will check a tweet or a post and say, yeah, I know that, like, I agree with that, that's fine, it's verifiable. Or if it's not, you can get flagged right away. So that way, because what I don't like is social media companies trying to decide on these topics as to what's what's real and what's not, you know? And so I think they need to put it back in the hands of the people who actually know what the hell they're doing. (laughs) It's really tough. And I think that they, some platforms like Twitter, I think really pushed verifying a lot of physicians during, um, you know, earlier on in the the pandemic. But, you know, it's it's a bit of a a challenge because I've definitely floated this idea with, you know, the social platforms that I'm sure other people have as well. But it's just difficult because where do you draw the line? Like it's not just physicians, but there are plenty of other types of health professionals online. And, and there's some of some professionals out there where you're kind of, it may or may not a little be, gray area. Yeah. A little gray. And yeah. so you like, what do you verify and what do you not? And, and there are verified physicians out there who are saying really awful things as well that are not. I, I know which ones you're talking about. <laughs> like it's, just because they're they have an MD or a DO doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're putting out great information either. So absolutely, it's, you know, yeah, it's tough. 
<laughs> it's funny. You should, so I'm, I'm going to get some blowback for this. But yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, for, for the general public who's listening, having an MD is not enough to, in my eyes, to be a doctor. Like you actually have to go through training and residency and everything. So I know people, again, there some of them are friends of mine who have an MD, they did not go to training. They're not a doctor in my eyes. They don't know what, they don't know a thing that they're talking about, but some of them, you know, I think it's okay to have MD at the end of your last name. You, you paid the money, you went through med school, that's fine. But to have the MD and then come out with some like really strong opinion about, you know, a clinical topic, it's like you have like, yeah, just, I, I, I disagree. That, yeah. <laughs> you know? Especially for a clinical topic, I think that there is a certain amount of, training and exposure that you have to have for that. I mean, I, I understand like with, with broader public health topics and things like that, like it's, you know, maybe not as necessary, but I think, um, yeah, for clinical topics, for sure. Totally. I mean, look, and again, like I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek, but like, you know, uh, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, someone sent me something and they're like, oh, did you read this like comment about, or this thing from this doctor who's talking about how the virus works? And I looked at it, I'm like, I'm like, why do you trust? He's like, oh, it's because this, is, this guy's a, a, a physician at, at a really like well-known institution. I'm like, yeah, this guy's a surgeon though. You, <laughs> like, they, what does a surgeon know about virology? I'm sorry, like, sorry, surgeons, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's, it's the same thing. If you saw somebody from, from internal medicine commenting about surgery, they would say the exact same thing, <laughs> you know, like, but I think, yeah, these are the little nuances of social media. And again, I think the only way that this is going to be uh, improved if more physicians in those specialties, they come on, they come online because then, then you can overwhelm the misinformation with the correct information from the people that you should actually trust for that domain. Right. Yeah. We need, you know, to get more health professionals, it's hard because, you know, there need to be incentives. There needs to be proper guidance. There needs to be a culture that is more accepting of people screwing up and making some mistakes from time to time. You know? When you say incentives, how, how, what do you mean? What do you mean by incentives? Like, how would you incentivize it if it was you? For the United uh, States. If it was no me, I mean, something that I've been actively working on is, you know, at an academic institution, we're not incentivized to contribute to social media or mm. to print media or any media really outside of, you know, publications in medical journals. And, mm. um, and yet that's where our patients are getting their information from. So how do we go about trying to build on, you know, that sort of social media participation. Um, that's something that we're trying to figure out right now. But, um, you know, certain institutions like Mayo Clinic have attempted to, you know, create a rubric. And I don't know exactly how often that's adopted into real practice. But, um, but that's the sort of thing that, you know, we need to reorient how we think about, you know, social media and the time we spend on it. Interesting. You know, and I think at the end of the day, for anything, when it comes to human behavior, like if the incentives aren't there, you're just not going to get the behavior change. Right. Um, and I think that the social proof of seeing physicians like you online is, is a big help. But I think at the end of the day, um, yeah, the institutions are going to be the ones that are going to really drive this. Unfortunately, if it's the incentives are right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at least some physicians I talk to, I mean, it's kind of light, a light incentive where the hospitals are saying we would, we prefer to have, you know, see you on there and everything, but that's, I don't think that's enough. I think there needs to be more of an incentive to reward physicians who are creating content, who are active online and everything. Because yeah, here's the other thing is there's, um, there's a benefit to the hot, you know, people don't follow companies or brands, people follow people. 
And so there's a benefit to, let's say a hospital, let's say if they had four or five Dr. Austin Changs in different departments, I mean, that, that boosts their, their health system brand and trust quite a lot with the community. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's ways to do that. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And so it's a work in progress and, you know, I don't have, I don't expect it to happen overnight, but it's something that we're working on. Totally. So I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, we're getting close to the top of the hour. So now I want to do kind of a, we, we wrap up our show usually with rapid fire questions. Okay. okay. Now here's the rule. You can answer this as quickly as you want, which means I'll move to the next question right away, or you can take as long as you'd like. Okay. All right. Okay. Awesome. So question number one is what's the most memorable thing a mentor has ever told you? Oh gosh. Um, most memorable thing I would just say like stick to your gut and um and you know don't don't give into the noise you know that's the whole social media thing is there was a lot of noise and I stuck to it and I was thankful for you know one or two mentors who kind of uh saw the value in it and just stuck to it great next question um you know Physicians, you know, that we, we have, there's a, there's a whole culture behind continuing education well after you graduate, right? So uh, these days, what's a book that you most often gift or let's say recommend to people? And it could be it, not a medical book. It could be anything. What, you know? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> gonna... <laughs> um, hmm. Gosh, I want to say like. Checklist Manifesto or one of like Atul Gawande's books. Got it. Got it. And why Checklist Manifesto? What did you like? What what did you like about the book? I mean, I think that that was just helping to, you know, I may not like follow it to a T, but like, um, like giving me some perspective about how to approach things and, you know, how to organize myself and, um, and, you know, how to, yeah, make sure that things get done. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, that was part of it, but just to see someone else's perspective on that. All right, a couple more. Um, I want you to imagine that for a, for a whole year here in the United States, there's gonna be a billboard outside of every hospital, all the physicians, nurses, clinicians, patients, everyone's gonna see it, right? Um, and I guess like, since we, we focus a lot on physicians, let's just say this is a, a a billboard that just the physicians are going to see for one whole year in front of every single major hospital, what message would you put on that billboard for your peers to see and why? For my peers to see. Um, I would probably want to say something very contrary to like what we're used to seeing, um, I want to say, especially for the social media thing, I'm thinking like, you know, through the lens of this social media conversation, but um, like kind of seeing how much misinformation there is and, you know, how many people are buying into that misinformation um, kind of to stir up things, Mm. you know, not really a positive message, but (laughs) something to really get people agitated about what's actually happening out there. I think that a lot of the conversations that we have in medicine are so siloed and we're stuck in our bubble. And, um, and, and that's kind of, that's gonna spell the 
downfall of it all. So we need to really see what people are actually saying out there and respond to that. So what would the message, what message would you put on there? Honestly, it would probably be like a screenshot of some really popular uh, health influencer spewing all sorts of misinformation so that we, <laughs> so that's, that, that's a good idea. Yeah, like I think that a billboard that's positive and reinforcing isn't gonna do us any good, you know, but something that really gets us, um, that's gonna really provoke us and, uh, and get people angry about something is what's gonna spark change. You're totally right about that. And, and well said, you know, if I didn't know who I was talking to, the first thing I would say to that answer, I'd say, is that person either works in social media and knows how it works really well, or they, or they're, they're an influencer. So, <laughs> so you know, yeah, you're totally right about that. You're totally it's right. Because every, in, in some ways, every post that I put out there is a little mini billboard and you know, what's going to get someone's attention and what's going to get them to keep on reading or keep on watching. And a lot of the ways that these platforms work is based on how long people stay on your content. You know, mm -hmm. if you think about YouTube, it's a lot of it is based on watch time and whether or not people actually sit through your entire video. So mm -hmm. it just goes to show that there, there's a little bit of an art to all of this. Yeah. I, no, abs absolutely. And I think that you can, I think the biggest thing is like, in order to persuade and influence people, you, you first have to get attention, right? You know, uh, and, and we going into medicine don't have this marketing PR mindset. So actually going back to your question about what, what book to read or something like that, I almost want to say that, you know, spend some time looking at what the influencers are doing. The people that you probably hate because they're famous for no reason. Think about how mm -hmm. they became famous for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, behind the scenes, they're putting a lot of effort into maintaining that fame. If you talk about the Kardashians and whatnot, there, it's not an accident that they were able to maintain this for 20 years. You know, yeah. that there were so, there's so many other people who could have, you know, um, done the same thing, but they came out and there's, there's a certain formula, I think that they have followed to get there. And, and I wish that we had an insider's look into how that machinery works in healthcare, because imagine if people subscribed to, you know, our way of thought and, and, and the information that we're putting out there as much as they did to other topics, that would, that would really change how, um, I think how people uh, perceive the healthcare system and how they're able to, you know, trust their, um, trust health professionals more and, uh, and, you know, execute their treatment plans. No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, that, that is a, big pearl of wisdom of what you just said, because I think, again, and I hate to pick, pick, pick on the medical community, but I, I'm, I'm, I come from it. So, but I think there's this, um, there's this ego that's there where it's, where if it's not a physician or it sounds hokey, or it's kind of like, you know, like, again, these influence, it's kind of rejected. And I really admire the fact that you, that you said that, which is, you know, look, you can hate it all you want. People can hate on the Kardashians, but let's, to your point, for two decades, this family built a multi-billion dollar empire. It did not happen by accident. So I think the, the key is, and look, we do this in medicine all the time. I mean, Atul Gawande wrote Checklist Manifesto. He didn't come up with checklists. Yeah. But he took it from something else and said, how do we take this and apply it to medicine? And I think your point is, is, is so spot on, which is, I mean, thinking about it from a healthcare system standpoint, like 
how do health systems utilize influencers, let's say, to get to get a message out there for, for the public good, right? How do physicians understand how social media works and figure out, okay, this is how I get attention, but once I get attention, here's how I influence it. Um, yeah. I think I think what you said right there is, I mean, it's 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 so deep and valuable that I think I really encourage a lot of physicians listening to this to go back and rewind and replay that again and think about it. Yeah, I mean, maybe partly, you know, why I say that is I've been, I faced so many situations in the past where people just didn't believe in this. And, um, and, you know, years later, they've come around, probably not even remembering that they said certain things to me, and have totally changed their outlook on social media and health. And I think it's undeniable now, especially after 2020. Oh, yeah, that it has that it's really an integral part of, of health these days. I uh, no, absolutely. And I think 2020, it didn't create any new trends. It just hyper accelerated the inevitable, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Dr. Chang, this has been so fantastic. Um, we're definitely gonna have to have you back in the future. Um, good on you because I was, I was, I was going to laugh. I was, I thought you, for the billboard, you would say ahsm.org. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's the thing is like, you know, it's not necessarily promoting the direct idea, but something to get people thinking and then leading them elsewhere. Totally, totally. And, and um, I'll, I'll leave in the show notes, the link links to, uh, to, to the, to the ahsm.org. And then of course, how can people find you on online? What's your handle? Yeah, Austin Chang, MD, A-U-S-T-I-N-C-H-I-A-N-G-M-D. I'm basically, it's the same handle everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. <laughs> <I'm probably laughs> <down there. laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Chang, thank you so much for, for joining us. So stay on for a few seconds. I'll, I'll talk to you in a moment. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Hills and Valleys, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hills and Valleys. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on our podcast. That way you're notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you're not already, please go ahead and follow Potrero Medical on all our social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you next time.